Welcome to Church Unscripted, our episode this week we're excited about. And so we have the easiest way for you to comment or give us questions is to text 260-250-4700. And then you can interact with us as we have different episodes. Um, And maybe something comes up that piques your interest and maybe something we can discuss in the future. And so that would be the easiest way. Or you could drop a comment below um, on YouTube. And don't forget you can subscribe and like us um, and also hit the notification bell because we want you to know when the episodes come up. And so this week we're still in our Nehemiah series, so we're going to be talking about that. But Eric, can you kind of give us a summary of Sunday and what the sermon was all about? Um, So those that maybe missed it or missed part of it can uh, know more. Happy to. Yeah, this was an interesting uh, chapter to talk about. It was in Nehemiah chapter five, and it felt like it was a little bit of a deviation from the normal storyline that we had, um, even though I think I was able to show that it connected to the first four chapters. But the problem was uh, the two primary themes in the book so far, the building of the wall and the opposition to the wall, uh, were very eerily absent. Uh, Chapter five really says nothing about either one of them. Um, and so it feels like you were jumping to a different storyline. Uh, and what it was, it was, it was something of a, of a pause in the main storyline to address another conflict that was arising, and that is injustice. Uh, due to the fact that those people who are, who are in Jerusalem from their hometowns and villages outside of Jerusalem, this population influx into the city caused a famine. There simply wasn't enough resources to cover all the people who were there. And so this created a famine, which means the supply and demand equilibrium was way out of whack, right? Yeah. And so that created an economic crisis and then a relational crisis. And now um, it, it led to people having to pay an extraordinary amount of money for the food but they didn't have the money to pay for it because they weren't on their farms or in their businesses back home to make that money. So some of them had to mortgage their fields and their property to get loan money to buy food. They had to get more loan money to pay for taxes. And then the people who had the supply, they were taking advantage mm-hmm. of their own people's uh, disadvantage. Wait, are you talking about the United States with high interest rates? Or Sorry, sorry, keep going, keep going. Talk about keep a cul-de-sac, <laughs> my goodness. Back to Nehemiah. Yeah, no kidding. Do we even want to go there? That would be... Controversial. Uh, what was I even saying? You're, you were talking about you, they were taking advantage of people. Yeah, yeah, they were taking advantage of their plight, and 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 then it even got so bad that some families had to had to put their own kids, their own daughters, into slavery as a way a way to pay off their debt, which was an incredible injustice. And it, it's not that these people got into debt irresponsibly. They they were forced to because they were in Jerusalem building the wall, mm. contributing to their own people's well being. Mm-hmm. Uh, and their own people were taking advantage of them. And so we talked about injustice and you know, how do we as fathers of Jesus address injustice the right way? It's, it's, not, um, it's not always getting retribution when you feel like you need to, but what does righteous anger look like for us when we encounter injustice? Mm. Um, and what I said was that righteous anger is righteous when your anger produces justice. And sometimes that's letting God take care of it. Mm-hmm. Other times that's... that's um, that's ruling over an issue, especially if, a, if you have authority over it in a right and just and kind and uh, fair kind of way. And so there's a lot we can talk about that, but I think all I did this weekend is just introduce the topic and, and maybe this will let us get a little bit more into the weeds of what it looks like to bring justice to injustice. Well, and you started the sermon by talking about outcry follows on the heels of injustice. Yeah. So something I realized, especially in the sermon and looking at Nehemiah's plight and what's going on there, injustice seems to be only something that affects us when it's in close proximity to us. 
do you notice that Nehemiah is in close proximity and he sees this injustice, but that doesn't mean that there's not injustice somewhere else, right? And so how do we fight injustice all the time, not when it's right in our face? That, that's my first question. Like what, what injustices can we speak to? Because honestly, it could be exhausting, right? I mean, mm. you take on a cause. I remember in college, so for, for me, an injustice that I, I was fighting against was like human trafficking. And I was like all about human trafficking, but I'd never met someone that actually was trafficked. And so that would be like that correlation of that was distant to me or my, my sphere of, of what I'm around, but it was something that was an injustice that, yeah, Christians, we need to speak up against. So what are maybe some injustice stuff that's not right in our face? Like, I mean, David, I would assume that no one's being trafficked around you, right? So, but what's some injustice that you see that maybe is not like in your family or right with you? I mean, it's everywhere. Oh, that's, I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a scenario where it's not. Yeah, how do you narrow it down? And, right? and that's what I, I think, like, I think it's more so having the eyes to see it um, wherever you are. Um, I don't, I, I could, I mean, I feel like I could make a list of things, but it would just be an unending list of injustices. Um but I think it is easier to see the injustice near us. Maybe. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, maybe I don't see it. Because we like, become blind because to it? Because we become blind to it because we're so close to it. So it's almost easier when I think about it to see the injustice far away and say, oh, I'm going to help with that because it's a, it's a problem and it's not close to me. But I, you know, but then when we look at even our own families or our own church or our own neighborhood, like there's injustice around us, but it's a lot easier to say, oh, well, it's just normal. So I'm not going to actually step into it. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a difference between feeling injustice, even if it's like far from you, because I mean, you don't have to be a Christian to feel injustice. I mean, when you say that you feel the pain of, of trafficking, you know, something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, as a Christian, of course, you feel that because you have the heart of Jesus, but there's a whole lot of non-Christians that feel other people's injustice, even if it's far away. I think the problem mm -hmm. is that if it's far away from me, you don't understand the injustice. Um, and so, I mean, for example, racial injustice. Mm -hmm. um, I don't feel like I've ever experienced personally any kind of racial injustice. Maybe I have, maybe I'm just not aware of it, right? But I do know people who I'm close to who have experienced racial injustice. Um, but because I don't know if I've experienced well enough, I'm not sure I understand their experience. Even though I can recognize that's been, in, that's been an injustice, because I don't understand it, I'm not so sure how to pursue justice for it. And I think that's the difference. Is that what you're going Yeah, at? yeah. So, I mean, so what you're saying is you can sympathize, but you can't empathize. You can't that's feel what they're it. feeling yeah. Yeah. in that moment. Yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm asking. I mean, I mean, really, the outcry that you see in Nehemiah chapter 5 is like, hey, this is happening right here, right now. Yeah. Jews, you're taking advantage of other Jews. Right. Like your own people, you know, and so that's a big deal. You, you uh, after after that, when you talked about justice, then you talked about righteousness and righteous anger, yeah, and it producing justice. Um, I'm just gonna like throw out the hand grenade here, okay? So I find that most anger does not fall in that category. I just I, I just don't see it. But instead, anger leads to more injustice. I mean, and that's what I've seen in my entire life. Like when people get angry there tends to be more injustice. 
so if anger was put in a pie graph, this is my visualization right here. There's a pie graph and it's got this whole circle and then there's the little sliver here, the 1% that's righteous anger and then there's 99% just anger, selfish anger, whatever you want to call it. Mm. So how can we as believers change that and move the pie graph in the right direction? What do you guys think? That, that's a really good question. Um, I have some thoughts. Uh, you say that you see it as a pie graph. Um, I tend to look at more of a pendulum. Okay. And so if I can describe it that way, I feel like it, it's not difficult to recognize and even feel the pain of injustice when injustice swings to the extreme of one end on whatever the issue is, right? Mm -hmm. But I feel like if the world pursues justice and the definition of justice is when the pendulum swings to the complete other side. So in other words, it's you are answering one injustice by forcing another injustice. Mm. Um, True. But I, think, but I think that might separate or make the distinction between those who have the spirit of God in them and those who do not. Mm. And that is the idea of what justice is on the other side. So it's not just correcting an injustice with another injustice. It's, it's correcting an injustice with bringing about God's righteous standard mm -hmm. and kingdom values, his moral law into the situation. So when that is resolved, nobody's experiencing an injustice. And I think, I think the reason that I say that is because I feel like our culture right now is, is heavy on fighting injustice, which they should be. Right. But it feels like their answer to injustice is simply by bringing another injustice to another group right. of people that perhaps originally created the injustice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Is that? Yeah. I was. I was actually. I was actually seeing like it just like a a pile on of injustice. Like as yeah. you talk about the pendulum, I, I see us fighting injustice by elevating one above the other, like having like a almost like a. Uh, well, this is unjust, so we're going to swing that pendulum and build an injustice on top of that that then alienates the other side of the injustice or whatever. And it's, for me, I feel like pursuing the, having the righteous anger and what you said about it producing, uh, the righteous anger producing justice, I, I feel like that is almost unity. Like, righteous anger produces unity. Like, it, it feels uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, everybody can say, Okay, yeah, we can we can live there because we're we're all so different. We'll we'll never so, be able to. Uh, I mean, besides the power of the Holy Spirit, we'll never be able to all agree on everything. And one person may see an injustice here, and one person may see an injustice here. One's not higher than the other, but rather, how do we come together to both fight those injustices instead of building this ladder of right. like what which right. one's more important and let's unpack anger a little bit then because i because i'm i'm hearing a lot of what you guys are saying and i keep thinking like anger in our culture is what like what rage. facial expression yeah rage rage, yeah. rage. so anger uh throwing things yelling it's stuff like that right and so when people get a picture and they hear righteous anger they might still think that you need to rage against well, whatever like it is, right? And it's, that's, I mean, and you look, you you did a good job, Erica, of explaining like the difference between a believer responding and our culture responding. Because our culture responds mm -hmm. by destroying things. Mm -hmm. That's why we riot. That's why we, why do, why do people that are rioting destroy their own neighborhoods? It doesn't make any logical sense. It, like It's reactionary, right? Like that's yeah. what I, that's what I, I, as you were talking about that, I feel like the righteous anger is almost uh, proactive in the sense of you you know what the vision is, you know what God has called you to. So when you step into a situation, you already know how you're going to respond and you can respond firm. But anger, like 
it, when it leads to injustice is reactionary where you're just, you just see the thing and you react. But I think if we as Christians are more proactive in knowing that anger will come, but how do we funnel that? Mm-hmm. I think that would make a huge difference. Well, and, and maybe you guys don't feel this way, but when I feel righteous anger, I feel confident in you are not going to harm this person. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to be a wall here because God's put me here for this reason and this purpose. And I'm, I'm going to stop this from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think on the other hand, I mean, we have, we have a nature of this, like, see, look, see, did your kids ever do this? Your kids ever he's do this? picking on me right your now. Kids ever do this? Yeah. Look at so this. What he's so, so, so here's the, here's the, no, the unrighteous response to that is you deck me in the face, you know, right. <laughs> yeah. And, but yet like, I'm just going like this and like, so what do you do to that, that kind of stuff? And, and the reality is I think life is a little bit like that. We get poked, we get prodded, we get, we get little, little things, little digs and stuff. And then all of a sudden we explode and that's where the anger comes. And so like, how do we have righteous anger when those things are happening? It's well, really I would hard. also say like anger is not bad. Like it's a good emotion. You just got angry. It, it, yeah. yeah. It, I, I always like growing up, I was a very angry person, like very angry, like very reactionary, punching people, kicking people, sending them to the hospital, you know, stuff like that. You wouldn't believe that now. Um, but like I, I was just always kind of thought like anger's bad, anger's bad. Don't feel anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would encourage people who are watching like anger is a good thing when used righteously. Mm-hmm. It's when we mm-hmm. kind of you, operate in our flesh that it goes bad. Yeah. So well, Jesus gives us, Jesus gives us, I think the, the most frustrating definition of what justice looks like. Uh, and it feels so counterintuitive and very much countercultural that when we read it, we're like, Jesus, you cannot be right on this. He says, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn and let them slap you on the other cheek. In other words, in Jesus' mind, justice uh, as a result of righteous anger is not slapping or hitting somebody in return. It's not retaliating with revenge. It's letting them do it again. And he says, if somebody steals your jacket, give them your shirt. And it's like, that doesn't make sense because that we don't operate that way. And so we, we operate with justice by simply reacting with more injustice. You said that people just riot, right? They, they burn their own town down, right? Yeah. That happens in a political state too. I mean, when the politicians see the other side of the aisle do something that they perceive to be unjust, they in turn respond with their microphone and their five minutes yeah. by dishing out the very same kind of injustice, whether it's sarcastic jabs or simple verbal slaughter, right? Um, and that's why so many of us distrust the, the political system because it's simply just a back and forth, right? Jesus says, if somebody hits you on the mouth, turn alone and hit you on the other side too. And if somebody steals your jacket, give it to them again. And I think part of that is because we have perhaps different ideas of what justice is because we have a different foundation for how to view injustice. So like I said, injustice has to be rooted in God's moral law, kingdom values, kingdom ethics, and really what sin is. So if you have no concept of sin, or if you don't buy into the biblical idea of sin, then where does your moral foundation come from? So your idea of injustice and injustice has to be built on whatever moral foundation you have. And if you don't have a biblical foundation to that, then your idea and my idea is gonna be way off. And well, so our idea of what justice looks like is going to be way off too. And I think the resolution, as you were saying that, I kept thinking the resolution is shalom, is peace. <laughs> mm. And yet many times the resolution to injustice in, in our culture is not peace. Mm. In right. fact, it's more chaos. Mm. Yeah. And so I think that's, that's very important to note. 
Uh, so, well, let me oh, ask yeah. you something about that. So I've got another question. I'm going to be host for a second, okay? That's fine. Uh, so so Jesus uh, Jesus gave us that ethic of justice. If somebody slaps you, turn the other cheek, it seals your coat, give them their shirt. Uh, but then there's another scenario where Jesus walks into the temple, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a scenario of... I mean, wait, wait, am I supposed to throw the table now? No, no, I built this. No, no, don't wreck it yet. Don't wreck it yet. Um, although you can do it later on with something cheap. How about okay, that? Okay, okay, okay. Uh, he walks in the temple, and the Bible says that there's these money changers, and there are these you know sellers of doves and animals and stuff. And it's not that that is wrong in itself. It's that the problem is that they were overcharging. The scales and the weights were yeah. unjust, right? So mm. there's all kinds of injustice happening in the house of God, in yeah. the temple. And Jesus walks in there. He doesn't turn the other cheek. He doesn't like give him his shirt in a sense. He gets he gets like Arnold Schwarzenegger on these people and he gets a whip and he starts beating people. I don't know about beating people, but I don't know, at least drives them out, right? Turns the tables over. And how is that justice compared to the turn the other cheek ethic? I mean, does that mean if we say something happened that's unjust, we get to walk in with a whip and just start, being police? I, How do we I do think, that? I think that's the. I think those two stories are the difference between how you operate in the church and out of the church, or in the body of Christ and out of the body of Christ. Because in the body of Christ, that we all agree to follow Jesus, and there's things that He set forth for us. And so, if we're operating uh, unjustly in the in the body of Christ, there's a time for the whip to come out. And to say this is not okay, dude. That's gonna freak people out who listen to this. I know, but that's but. Whoa, I whoa, think whoa! That, wait. Are you going Indiana Jones? Those things yeah, hurt. Well, that I've seen them. Okay, but, but but what's interesting about that story is I, I feel like I'm remembering this correctly. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it says that Jesus takes time to 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 make the whip, right? So when when we read it as like he comes in, guns a blazing. No, he comes in. He assesses the the what's going on, and he says, "Now I will act." So there's almost a lesson there of like, when we see injustice, that Jesus didn't just come in tossing tables. He he saw what was happening, and he he made the decision to act a specific way to drive the people out in a way that would be effective. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I understand what you're saying. I'm just trying to say, trying to think, what is, what does that look like in our local context? Like right here at Brookside. Right. Does that mean that if somebody is 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 bringing abuses or something like that into Brookside that that as the leaders and as the elder board, we get to figuratively speaking, build our own whip. Have you, have you, have you read the Psalm 23? I'm being a little bit facetious and sarcastic, but Psalm 23, it says his rod and his staff comfort me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so good there, shepherds chase there is, away there just is, as much as they lead the, the sheep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's twofold. Like it's not like, Oh, the whip all the time, but also the, whatever the it's, rod is for correction. Too. Yes. The rod so is it's, for correction. it's not even, and, and I don't know that like, I think it's it's driving behavior out. I don't I don't think it's driving people out, right? Like, I and mean, the other part is, what if the injustice is the leaders, and the injustice in the leaders is an act of repentance? So that's not like a whip. That's a whole nother category, right? You know what I'm saying? That's turning the other cheek and saying, "Hey, we messed up," you know. So like, I feel like there's a lot of nuances. There's not one <laughs> program like people are going to leave this and go. Oh they didn't give me an answer for how to fight injustice. And I'm like, well, it's different in every situation. I, I think it's right? to be thoughtful and to really assess the situation. I, I really do believe that. Like, I, I don't see where a, a, an emotional response to injustice changes anything. I think it's, I mean, even 
the foundation. I feel like I bring it up every time, but the prayer and fasting that Nehemiah did, he came from a place of wanting to do the Lord's work. And he, he took time to, he, he saw the need. He took time, paused, addressed it. And then we'll see, he moves on with the, the mission. That, that, mm. that Eric, Eric's a little bit uh, in his thinking mode. So I, I'm, since you said pause, I want to like move to my next question because sure. pause is a very important thing in this sermon. So okay. something that you didn't spend a whole lot of time on, but I like was very curious about was the, the idea of the pursuit of justice is worth a pause on vision. And I'm like looking at you and going, you're always about vision. So how do we do that? And so how can we pause in the church when we hear phrases in the church like this? And this is scripture, but where there's no vision, the people perish. Like we hear stuff like that. Or um, it's hard not to make an all or nothing equation. Either we're about vision or we're about justice or we're about you know, racial inequality or we're about this. And it seems like we either have vision or we don't. So here's what leads me to my question is you gave a third option on Sunday that I don't think is commonly said. And that third option is pause. So usually we're visions on, visions off. There's no pause button. There's no wait button. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a lot of waiting. So why is it so hard to pause vision? I think, I think it's because we get in our mind an idea of what our future looks like mm. and we perhaps skip some of the necessary steps that are critical to get there. For example, um, going back to Nehemiah, the vision was to build a wall. However, what I think they realized is that even if they built the wall and it was perfectly sturdy and firm and impregnable, right? Uh, there was still all kinds of chaos inside. So it almost like is the, the pause is, is a pause on a longer term, bigger vision for the sake of pursuing a perhaps a more micro vision of getting healthy and bringing justice. And I think uh, I was talking recently to um, another friend of mine who is a, another lead pastor at a church. He just took the church uh, uh, just a several months ago. And it, there's a lot of chaos right now. Um, a lot of staff turmoil and chaos. And he really stepped into a really unhealthy, toxic situation. Um, and as we're talking, I'm, I'm listening to his dreams for the church. And I'm thinking, my encouragement to you right now is, is don't say a word about future vision. Uh, right now, your vision is to get the staff healthy, is to get the church healthy, to um, to eliminate the challenges to that future. And I, I likened it to, you know, a head football coach, right, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, if halfway through the season, your record is one and eight, you have no business talking about winning a Super Bowl. I mean, don't don't get on the news and say, yeah, we're going to win a Super Bowl. I mean, nobody's going to believe you because everyone looks at your record and say, you're not a healthy team right now. You have a one and eight record, right? So the pause of the vision of winning a Super Bowl is necessary in order to get your team strong and united and healthy. And then after a couple of seasons, when your record turns from one and eight to four and eight to now, you know, now eight and two, now all of a sudden you can start talking vision of winning the Super Bowl. And I think in a church context, it's, it's not that we re- neglect the future vision. It's all right, we see a major challenge to that becoming reality. So we're <coughs> gonna pause pursuing that, mm. not eliminate it, not neglect it, yeah. but we gotta get this thing healthy right now. And I think that's what we- I've we, totally got an argument for you. Okay. I got an argument back with that, like a little bit. I wanna hear David, what David said. The reason I say the argument back is, isn't, aren't you still pursuing that big vision by getting healthy? Like that's, I, I get the pause, like, and I get how you were like framing that, but I feel like sometimes like, like, let me, let me put it this way. Healthy is not separate from the vision, mm-hmm. but in some ways you need a pause. You can't move the vision, the big picture stuff forward 
in that moment to work on the micro stuff, the healthy relationships within your church. And that's part of our vision, right? You know, if we have Jesus-centered homes, we, we're going to have healthy relationships and that's going to lead to gospel-saturated communities. Well, we can't get to that third part of the vision without healthy relationships that cause both. And so in some ways, uh, it almost seems, I mean, and again, we were focused entirely on justice. So I, I get the pause for justice, but in some ways, healthy relationships is the core of any vision, right? I mean... Yeah. Well, any kind of injustice is is a break between relationships. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no injustice with anything that's not human. I mean, yeah. I, well, I mean, I guess you could say there's injustice where people abuse animals or things like that or abuse financial. Those are unjust, but it, it always relates to other people in some way. And so if you're going to have healthy relationships, yeah. then you have now the foundation, mm. uh, especially if those relationships are built on, on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now you've got the platform you need mm. to propel you to that longer, larger vision. Mm. Um, and I think that's why at the end of chapter five, I didn't even get to it this weekend. At the end of chapter five, um, he says in verse 19, remember me with favor, my God, for all I have done for these people. And I think Nehemiah was anxious. He's like, I just want to build this wall. Let's go, right? Yeah. And I think leaders can tend to be, leaders who tend to be driven can be very, very anxious to get to that vision. And I don't think he liked the fact that he had to stop and pause and make sure these relationships were now healthy again. Do you, do you feel like the pause is almost a pause of expectation of vision? Oh, could be. Yeah. So it's, it's praise Jesus, positive expectation. <laughs> That'd be amazing. But it just, <laughs> it just like, it, it kind of, I think that's what you're getting at is like, you can, like you said, like the vision doesn't stop. Like it's all part of, of the vision, but there becomes a point when you have to pause your expectation of the timeline of vision yeah. um, in order to deal with injustice or relationship mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, I, I'd be how have you seen this at Brookside? I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. th that. Right. So I've, I've been here for almost a decade, right? Yeah. And I remember when I first came on, I, I felt the pressure of an expectation of bringing this uh, powerful, impactful, compelling vision for our future. And so I was having questions like, you know, what, what do you want to see happen at Brookside in five years? And so I'd throw out all kinds of like, whoa, that's amazing. Like I want 2000 people in five years, you know, and, and I want us to have a leadership Institute and I want some campuses and, and I throw all these seating. on the home. Dude, come on. You got to bring that <laughs> simple, up. Simple, simple seating. Did you say simple seating? You don't know oh, about no. this yet? No, no, no. You brought it up on church. Yeah, Unscripted. Yeah, yeah, we right. talked about it. Yeah. yeah I thought yeah. that was going to stay in that episode, but you brought it back. <laughs> We're bringing simple seating. But I brought all these great ideas and stuff and the ideas themselves weren't bad. It was just way off on timing mm. because what I didn't know at the time is, is I had no business bringing any kind of like compelling long-term vision. Mm. What I should have done is said, I'm, my vision for the first year is to build relationships, get to know people, mm. understand how this place works, understand the history. Uh, and then and as, as, I, as we talk about a lot, put a bunch of change in my pocket before I begin to spend a bunch of change. Um, and my timing was way off. Mm. Uh, because I, now I'm a decade into being at Brookside and, and we're still pursuing some ideas that, that are in progress and they're moving forward towards that vision, which is really yeah. exciting. Mm -hmm. But I don't think the foundation of Brookside was there until about a year or two ago mm -hmm. um, that was right and ripe for that vision to really take root. And, and so I had no business. So, really so do you kind of kind of feel that frustration that Nehemiah feels Absolutely. maybe in this chapter? Like Absolutely. chapter five, you're like, yeah. oh, I just lived this, yeah. you know, a little bit <laughs> right. like there's these injustices right. happening and I, 
we need a clean house almost. And but the good thing about what we're learning about God through all the scripture, Old and New Testament, is that our timing is not his timing. Right. And his time is always way better. It's good. Way better. And so I think the older I get, hopefully the older we all get, yeah. the more we're learning to trust his timing for vision. Hmm. And when he pushed the pause button a little bit, there's a reason for it. Hmm. Because if they built that wall, if all of that internal chaos and abuse and injustice was still alive, it, all it would have done was allowed it to fester in the city because now there's a wall to keep it all in. And I think that would have been dangerous for the people. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like when Jesus talks to the Pharisees and he's like, you're whitewashed sepulchers. And he's basically like, you're poop inside. I mean, that's literally what he says. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, that's what's happening in the city right there. Mm -hmm. And they're building these walls and inside the city walls, the Jews are taking advantage of Jews. Mm -hmm. They're having to sell their children into slavery. And you're just like, wait, this is worse than it was before. I mean, I bet some of them were saying that mm -hmm. and they're crying out to God and like, God's like, well, we got to deal with this. There's justice here that can happen. So... Um, I, Eric, the last three weeks, you had a very, very good first take home and, but it's variations on a theme is what I was going to say. So I'm going to read those in case people don't remember the last three weeks. Um, because I think it actually leads to a deep, um, uh, theme you might say in Nehemiah this week, you, you talked about eliminating, I've got my own problems from your language because the people were crying out and they were crying out together. They all had the problem. Last week you said, eliminate, I didn't sign up from, uh, I didn't sign up for that from your language. And the week before that, I know people, this is like a quiz right now for me, but uh, you eliminate, that's not my responsibility. And I found all of those words very eerily similar to what Cain said in Genesis, where he says, I'm not my brother's keeper. And right before that moment, the irony is that Cain just killed his brother. And so this idea of I'm not my brother's keeper, but yet in reality, when we read scriptures, it's, it was written to a Hebrew audience at first. And that Hebrew audience would have thought all of these people communally are suffering and we are responsible for each other. And so how can we be our brothers and sisters keeper? Like, like other brothers and sisters in Christ, how can we essentially fight injustice with them and for them? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I fear that whatever answer we have um, is perhaps going to fall short given the fact that the three of us right here, uh, going back to the whole understanding part, don't simply understand mm -hmm. other people's injustice because we haven't experienced it. Mm. So as much as we say, how can mm. we... How can we do that? Um, our answer, perhaps in their perspective, might fall short. Although it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to give an answer because we have scripture as our support, right? However, well, I, and I, I want to be and I would sensitive. Say, I, would say, I would say, let's speak generally, not specific. Sure. Because I think there's specific issues that there's no, we have no right yeah. speaking to. Yeah. But I think that there's- So this is something of a disclaimer that says, yeah. whatever answer we give might not be perfect for your situation of injustice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we want to acknowledge yeah. that. So with that said- you get to answer first. <laughs> Reframe your question again. So, so I got lost. How, how can how can we be our brothers and sisters keeper? Essentially, like King yeah, says, yeah, I'm yeah. not my brothers keeper. Yeah. Or it's not my problem. I didn't mm -hmm. sign up for this. Mm -hmm. It's not my responsibility. Mm -hmm. The reality is, all those people were informed of the injustice or the thing that needed to happen. Mm. Okay. That's where I'm drawing the line. So the line that I'm drawing is, it's not that you don't know of it. It's that you've already been informed of it. So how do we how do we be our okay. brothers and sisters in Christ, mm. our keeper? That's good. Uh, 
the the thought that popped in my head is is how can we be for others like in the body of mm-hmm. Christ specifically um, when I when I um, hear of an injustice I may not be able to relate to it but how can I be for that person in that injustice and then how can I love them um, maybe not fully understand but um, I don't I don't know that um, if I if I see somebody else's injustice, I don't know if it would do any good for me to fight their battle. Yeah, I agree. Um, because, like you said, I've not experienced that injustice. However, I can be for them. I can hear them, listen to them, and then be those people standing behind their back as as a support system um, and an encouragement to seek justice in whatever that is. I don't know if that's. Maybe too no, I, simple of an I answer. Think, but. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's two things that I think of when I think of those kind of situations. Is One is fighting injustice requires sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And so um, it doesn't necessarily mean you go in the fight for the person, but maybe it's time you're spending in prayer or time you're taking away right. from... I don't know, your family or something else even potentially, you know, to, to take care of this person. The other part of it is, I think of it as a, um, uh, you know, that there's clear cut lines in our culture. For example, there's uh, mandated reporting. So when I worked in social work, you see abuse, you hear of abuse, mm-hmm. you see something, you have to report it, right? Right. And I think it's very similar uh, in this sense of injustice is there's not necessarily we're reporting injustice, hmm. but we're walking that person through that. And then the other, the flip side of it is that we're encouraging that person to not commit further injustice hmm. just to get justice. Right. You know, like the, I feel like those are the two things that I really can kind of firmly say is like, okay, so if something's happened that's to the level of law enforcement, let's say, then get law enforcement involved, be a part of that. And, hmm. and, and don't don't just keep secrets. You know, like we tell kids, like when I was in social work, don't keep secrets. You need to share everything that happened to you and all this kind of stuff. And and I think that's there's some truth to that, even with adults, is like there's got to be that confidant or that person. Maybe it's counseling, maybe it's a pastor, maybe it's whatever it is. And in that moment, mm. seek out wise counsel. So if you feel that you've been, something's injustice happened mm. to you, seek out wise counsel before you do anything. Mm. Because... Um, I think our gut reaction uh, in our sinful nature is just to respond and react and hurt someone. If we're hurting, we're going to go hurt other people. And so that moment of injustice, if we're sitting with people in that injustice, it might just be sitting next to a person, hearing their story and letting them cry and yeah. not saying a word. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so the, I think the word is discernment, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the good thing is that as followers of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit to kind of give us that discernment. But I mean, there are passages, I might've actually brought one into the message this mm-hmm. week and it says something like, you know, fight for the cause of the fatherless and for mm-hmm. the rights of the mm-hmm. widows and yeah. those things. And so what I hear you talking about is, you know, perhaps it's not the best for us to fight their injustice for them well, the way I hear you say that is, is if I'm not, if I don't understand it, if I've never experienced it, I shouldn't be the loudest voice on it because right. now all of a sudden I'm not a credible authority. Right. And people, and not, people aren't going to listen to me. Right. And so I might actually be doing uh, more harm than good if I try to act as an expert yes. on something that I've never experienced. Right. So we got to be careful yeah, on that. Exactly. So discernment might simply be you need to call the police. That's how we're going to fight for the rights of the fatherless and the widows and the childless and those kind of things. Um, other times this might be, I'm going to bring you a meal. 
because I know that you've been hit hard from some kind of an injustice. I'm gonna bring you a meal and just show you that I love you. So we need to use discernment. But what I love about Jesus is he always gives you, uh, if you read into him enough, he always gives you a good response to your greatest tragedies. Um, and this is one of the case. You mentioned Cain and Abel, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe that the story of the good Samaritan is the New Testament antidote to the story of Cain and Abel. Mm. In that body, I mean this. I mean, Cain and Abel became two separate kinds of people, right? One righteous, one unrighteous. Yes. Cain ended up saying, uh, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, that's not my problem, right? I've got my own problems. The story of the Good Samaritans the same way. Mm. You've got this guy traveling from Jerusalem to another city on the road. He gets mugged, he gets beaten, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. And then several different people, some religious people, spiritual leaders, mm. church leaders come, they see him, they walk right by him, and they say, say that very same thing. It's like, not hey, my am I my brother's keeper? I've got my own problems, not my responsibility. I didn't sign up for this. Mm. Uh, and yet a Samaritan who was in that day the arch rival mm. of the person who was beaten up. He's a Jew, he's a Samaritan, they're enemies. He's the one who used discernment and he said, you know what? Here's what I believe that God would want me to do. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he, when he put him on his horse, bandaged him up a little bit, took him to a hospital, paid the entire bill. That's an extreme form of justice, right? right. Um, a lot of us wouldn't be able to even financially be able to do that. Right. Uh, but when you are led by the Holy Spirit, he can, he can give you the discernment on what you need to do mm. in the moment. And you just gotta be in tune with him, I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. To uh, add to what you're saying, um, as you were talking, I was led back to the first kind of thing you mentioned in your sermon, that outcry and desperation. And I wonder if sometimes um, we we don't outcry to the right place um, where we where we we see an injustice and we we post about it on social media. But actually that discernment, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, hit your knees and pray about this. Pray for this person because there's way more power in this outcry, this desperation in prayer than there ever will be in a social media post. And I think sometimes we have to discern that. Whereas, you know, the Samaritan stepped in and he did something. Um, but there's other times when we see injustice where it just may be like you said, bring you a meal, but I'm on my knees in prayer over this person every day because I, I see the injustice. And I truly believe that like our desperation, our outcry, if it's placed in the right place can bring more change than our little voice can. Yeah. Remind me of this passage. Um, help me remember where it's at, where Jesus says something like, you know, pray for your enemies. Mm. Um, bless and don't curse. Where's this at? Uh, Is that the Sermon on the Mount? I think it's Sermon on the Mount. On the Mount? Oh, one those, of the most important for, sermons for ever. Those that persecute you and yeah, yeah. So what, he, what Jesus is saying is the people who are bringing you injustice, don't give them injustice in return. Instead, pray for them mm. and bless them. I don't know of anybody who's really doing that. Well, and I, I think I think the reason it's so hard is we see in our world so much injustice, we sometimes blur the line of what's injustice and justice. Like it's it's just to go and bite back at someone in the reality. Like, it, you know, if you ever see the, the, speaking of social media, a post that starts with, well, no one's really saying this, but I really feel like I need to say something. And then it's like, you know, you're just like, uh, that's probably something Verbal you should have left in your head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so in some ways, I think that mm. we've lost sight of what justice really looks like. And sometimes justice is not quick mm. and justice is not at our time. And I think that's what we struggle with when injustice happens. The other, the other thing I was thinking as David was talking was that uh, <laughs> being with someone in injustice, uh, 
does not mean that you have to like have this massive external reaction. Like you don't necessarily need to share that person's story with anybody else. You know what I'm saying? Like I see injustice and then all of a sudden gossip happens. Mm. One person had an unjust act happen to him. And instead of going to the Lord or going to a confidant to deal with the issue, they just spread it. Mm. And it doesn't mean it's not unjust, but that's still, they're creating more injustice right. because the other person has no idea what's going on there. And so if there is injustice, yeah, God does not like injustice, right? I mean, we can agree to that. But in this sense, like, it's just creating more of the same problem. And so in some ways, I think we struggle finding a way to be just in that moment. You use the word discernment. I think, I think it is discernment. It has to be wisdom and discernment. There's no other way to deal with unjust acts. Um, and it's, and I think things are nuanced more than people, mm. like, everyone's bad that does this. Well, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's a sin to eat cherry pie, but some people don't like it. You know, you know what I'm saying? So there's certain things that are not necessarily injustice, but yeah. are just And, and, and biblically speaking, there is room, there is room and allowance to protect yourself. If somebody's going to bust into your house, yes. that's not the time yes. to get on your knees and pray. That's the time to protect your family. Yes. You know? And if somebody's going to hurt your neighbor, that's not the time to say, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to give him my shirt right there. It's, it's, I'm going to protect my neighbor. Mm -hmm. Uh, from somebody who's going to hurt them. Yes. So there is room in scripture to protect. And even Nehemiah shows us that, right? However, what I find interesting is that's not all the time. Mm. Um, especially like what's the story in the, the Old Testament? One of our favorite kids' stories of Daniel, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and the Babylonians make this law where it's illegal to pray to any other God except for the emperor, or you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. Yeah. And Daniel's like, that's unjust. That's not right. And so what does he do? He doesn't react. He doesn't get on the, the microphone on the biggest stage and start denouncing this. What does he do? He goes to his room, he shuts the doors and he just starts to pray about it. Um, and because of that, the only dirt they could find on Daniel is his faith. They couldn't find anything on him. And if he just reacted mm. out of anger, they could mm -hmm. have find all kind, found all kinds of stuff to use against him. Mm. All they could find was he's just living his faith. Well, and I think if there's going to be injustice against us as followers of Jesus, mm -hmm. it ought to be only on the way you live out your faith as opposed to the way that you have done unjust, injustice to other people. Wow. Don't that's give good. people a reason yeah. to be unjust to you. That's, you that's what I heard when you said that. I was like, wow. Unless it's, with your, unless it's for your faith and that's it. Yeah, unless yeah. it's for your faith, yeah. yeah. So uh, this is a big picture thing that I was thinking as I got to the end of the sermon on Sunday. Um, owning the vision of a church community seems to be a struggle. Like owning that vision and, and the language in the eliminate, like eliminate, I've got my own problems. I didn't sign up for that. Mm. That language is ownership. You know, you're not going to say this because you, you're a part of this. Hmm. You're a huge part of this. Is that a theme that we have to own our community's struggles and vision? How does that interact with like all of Nehemiah? Because it seems like Nehemiah started that way, right? He goes to prayer, he fasts, he's owning the problems of his community. Mm -hmm. Like, how can we talk about that? Like, how do we own our community's struggles and vision? You know, it, feel, it feels like there's so much problem. It's, it's too much for any one local church or mm. one group of people to address themselves. It feels, like, it feels like, again, using discernment and prayer and in agreement and unity, mm. you just say, here are the problems. We can't fix all the problems, mm. but here are the problems we're going to address mm. and give our time, energy, and resources to to bring a justice there. Yeah. We, can't, we can't fix, we can't fix 
decades, generations of, of racial inequality, whatever that looks like, right? Mm. What we can do is those who have been oppressed and whatever form that looks like is we can, we can be generous and compassionate to those people. That's, that's what we can do. Mm. It's for those people who have nothing because something's been stolen from them, we can use some resources to provide mm. for them. So I think, I think we have to, in a sense, say we're not going to fix uh, decades or centuries of injustice mm. in whatever form that looks like. But what we can do is through relationships mm. is we can give some kind of a hope, um, perhaps in a more micro ways. Mm. Again, I don't know. I don't think I'm a credible authority on that. <laughs> and so it feels uh, well, and, disingenuous and, in some ways to speak to that. Jesus talks about the poor will always be with you. So like there's in, in poverty and that's an injustice. Mm. There always will be injustice. There will be no leveling in the playing field in that. And so I think, I think that's the tension we live with mm. in the sense of the already Jesus is king, yeah. but not yet. It's not perfected. It's not the perfect kingdom, right. but we're striving for that, that kingdom mm. that Jesus describes that when he comes back. Yeah. And so there's a balance of that. And David, do you a, have any thoughts to add or? No. I'm, okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. That is though a picture of the New Testament church though. I mean, one of the yeah. very first things that we celebrate about that church in Acts is, is they were all together, right? They had unity. And then it says they, they sold whatever possessions they had, right? Yep. And they gave to the poor as they had need. Yeah. And I thought that that's, it seems to be a picture of what you were referring to yeah. Of, yeah. of Jesus leveling out reality yeah. for people. Yeah, 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 definitely. I will say, uh, as we were talking about, you mentioned, we mentioned Sermon on the Mount and I was just looking through. Uh, it is kind of interesting because there's a lot of different injustices here that Jesus walks through. So I'd just encourage people to, yeah, it's a good to, place to, to read through Matthew five and six, uh, even into seven and just look at those different injustices and how he encourages us to respond to those. So I have one closing thought question. Okay. That I really want, I want you guys both to answer. Cause I think this is something that we all struggle with in some way is those, those three phrases. I'm going back to the three phrases because I feel like that has just been rolling through my head. I've got my own problems. I didn't sign up for that and that's not my responsibility. Those three phrases are variations on a theme. And I've said this already today, but you're a leader first to yourself, then to others. Can you unpack like that a little bit? Because I think that's the reality of what Nehemiah, he had to lead himself first before he could lead others. So, and I think that's where we see failure in the church a lot is like pastors that are just like not leading themselves and, you know, pontificating or saying things and leading others. But in reality, their lives are in shambles and they're, mm -hmm. we're all broken people, but God can put us back together. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so, so my question is unpack that lead yourself first before you lead others. I think if you live in that dichotomy for too long, that's when people start to think that you're a fraudulent leader with fraudulent authority. Mm -hmm. um, because if they say, you know, why are you telling us how to live when it looks like you don't even know how to lead yourself? Mm -hmm. um, and you've heard of the, the, the concept of a starving baker. Mm -hmm. It's the baker who makes food for everybody else, but never eats any of the things he creates for himself. And mm -hmm. so the problem with that is eventually you're so weak and you're so starved, you don't have the ability of making food for anybody else anymore. So, I mean, this is true of, of doctors too. I mean, would you be more comfortable going to a doctor who lives a healthy lifestyle more themselves or a doctor who is so obviously unhealthy? Why are they giving me medical advice, right? Um, so I feel like that's very much the case with us as well. And so um, 
Um, and I and I would say it's not just pastors. Right. Like the question, I'm just I'm in terms of being a believer. Like if you're in an unhealthy place, you you, you need to start focusing on yourself. Like I I don't want to think worldly and like oh I need me time. No, it's not me time. It's mm. just. God, you need to spend time with the Lord, yeah. you know? Yeah. So David, David. Yeah. I mean, I, I've, more. I've had to, cha- I've had to challenge myself in this because there, there've been times that <clears throat> I, I read scripture for other people. So like, uh, I read, I may read a passage of scripture because I know it fits with a worship set and I want to share that. And so I'm, I'm going to scripture just to simply encourage other people and I've found there, there've been seasons in my life where I'm, I'm opening the Bible and I'm reading scripture, but it's not, it's not to be with Jesus. It's, it's to, to help other people be with Jesus. And you get to a place where you're just like, I don't have anything else to give. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not spending time with Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I'm spending time in the word, but only for the benefit of others. And so I think it, that's, that's, I think that's true for anybody in the church that may have a relationship where they see somebody who is going through a divorce or they have a, a, a son or a daughter who's strayed from the faith or they have a, a health diagnosis or whatever that is. It's really easy to go to, to Google and say, you know, scriptures for divorce. And then you look through and then you open your Bible. You're like, oh yeah, that's a good one. Okay, that's a good encouragement. I'm going to send that to them or whatever that is. Um, but you're because not we actually, don't actually know. Right, and we're not actually spending time in the, in, the, in the scripture to lead ourselves. So I would just encourage people to like, I know for me, like I've had to really grow in that. Um, and it, especially being in the, in the position of ministry that we're in, um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had seasons of that, even preaching where you're spending every day in the word, but it's for a sermon. Um, maybe not, but no, you're, you're you're good. (laughs) But, um, I I think that's true for, for anybody, um, that, that may want to help lead other people towards Jesus Mm -hmm. in whatever situation they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But the whole time they're just like, we're just using Google to find the right passage make, we open our Bible to make sure it's good. And then we send it off and we're not actually leading ourselves in that truth either. Mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of like, um, someone, I mean, when you talk about the starving baker, I mean, it's like giving everyone else water while you're like parched and then you pass out. Right. Right. And so in some ways, I, I guess this leaves me with one more question. I just keep thinking okay. questions. I've got, I've got but, one but, more too. Before but is it, is it, is it selfish to focus on your own spiritual health first? Mm. Because I feel like as Christians, I, I grew up mm. in the church mm. And it's almost like, oh, I'm taking all this time to focus on me and that's so bad and it's selfish and, you know, like, and it even applies to hmm. devotional life sometimes. Yeah. Like if something interrupts devotional life, oh, well, that's okay because I'm serving someone else or I'm taking care of my kids or I'm helping someone. Yeah. And yet in some ways I'm like, that's like a perversion of what I think God intended. It, when you said that, I, I just thought of like, if me time is always just for me, then it's pointless um, because I think there's a, there's a point in our lives when me time becomes an overflow of, of Jesus to the people around us. Like if, if we're just always like, oh, I need, I need me time. I need to be by myself. I need to be with Jesus. And meanwhile, injustice is happening around us or whatever's happening around us. And we're not allowing that relationship with Jesus to overflow into those situations. 
then are we even really getting well, me time? If, if that's if that's selfish, then Jesus perhaps was the most selfish leader. <laughs> right, exactly. Because he spent all kinds of times by himself. And the Bible says he would often go away by himself, right. spend time with God. And then when you see that pattern, you see it, you notice it everywhere else. Like, right. like for example, Jonah in the belly of the big fish, right, for three days. He had a whole lot of me time for those three days. <laughs> but it was critical for what his ministry was going to be for right. for the Ninevites, right? And then Paul, after he had his conversion experience on the road, mm-hmm. um, um, on the road, uh, after that, he didn't go straight into ministry. Right. He was trained. He had a whole lot yeah. of me time with God so he could be prepared. So, so me time, I think, is important if it is meant to fill you up with him. Now, if, if my me time is simply watching a bunch of movies, right, right. then I've squandered that me yeah. time. Um, and, and, and so basically me time has to be focused on it's gotta the It's got to be stewarded. I mean, yeah. 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 It's got to be stewarded. Yeah. I, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is a good Good question to, to end at, whatever. But one of the last things that I said. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I said, justice is greater than worship, right? And I referenced that yeah. passage where Jesus said, you know, if you're at the altar worshiping, mm-hmm. you know, leave your gift there, go reconcile with the person if you know you've done something to them mm-hmm. and injustice, and then come back and, and continue worship. So it's almost like it's not just a pause in vision for the sake of justice, it's a pause in worship mm-hmm. for the sake of justice. Did I offend you at all? No. Okay. Uh, it did when I saw it on paper. <laughs> oh, when no, I saw it on paper. Oh, no. <laughs> just, no so no, I should no. stop sending you my manuscript. Yeah, yeah. When I saw your hand. manuscript, I, it, it wasn't offended. I wasn't offended. It was more like, I wonder where he's going with that. Um, and I, I I, think there is some some truth there that we miss out on a lot um, where we're not willing to have the tough conversations or to be humble enough to say like, hey, I messed up or I I don't know. And And... I don't know how this works, but I feel like there is an element of like, hey, if your if your heart is not there, like you're at at that point, your worship is just words. It's not actually even worship. You're just like in our context, we we associate worship with the music time, um, but I, I think this applies to all of life. Like mm-hmm. worship should be a continuation of of every, moment to moment, and so. I almost see this as like, hey, if you're not, if you're not pursuing justice with your brother or your sister, um, making sure that we're good, um, your worship is just like noise. It's just, it's, I don't know. So are you tell me, you tell me that there perhaps couldn't be people who have been worshiping for years mm-hmm. and God wasn't listening because they refused to bring justice in an area where they had authority and opportunity to bring justice. I don't know if I can say that with a definitive answer. Okay. Because it, it's complicated. My brain can't. I mean, my if brain you're with can't all the bitterness, compre- I mean, if you're yeah, bitter, my brain I mean, can't comprehend sense. that because it's all. It's so. Uh, I don't. I don't know how God thinks fully. And so, so, and you it, don't want to get quoted on YouTube, saying right? I don't want to. Everyone say, can't yeah, worship everyone, anymore. Once it's on social media, it's there, right? Forever, right? But I think there is. It's it's based in a heart posture, where if if all I do is I come in on a Sunday morning and I and I raise my hands and I shed a tear, and then I just live like a jerk the rest of the week. Like I don't know. I won't say that, but was it worship? Well, or was it just for? public show i I didn't separate those two when you said that i thought that's a false dichotomy there worship and justice justice is it it seems contextually it was 
the most urgent form of worship in that moment. So it's still worship. Mm. So I didn't separate it as like worship and this, but part of that is because culturally we think of worship as the music, right. as we think of the service and stuff like that. But we can relationally worship God mm. by bringing justice. Yeah. That is a form of worship. And so I think we get lost on Sunday morning worship versus, mm-hmm. wait, am I worshiping on a Tuesday at mm-hmm. 6 a.m. when I wake up and something happens to me? Like, yeah, like, right. yeah you're worshiping in all these other areas. Um, and not to quote Brother Lawrence, but, you know, kind of when, good you, one to quote. when you practice the presence of God, he's with you wherever you go. Yeah. And so in essence, what I, what I, think when I read that is that justice is a more urgent form of worship than other forms in many ways. Like if your relationships are not right, you can't do the other stuff. Right. So I mean, there's a passage, I can't find it right now, um, but paraphrasing pretty much it means that, that if you're mistreating your wife, then God's not listening to your prayers. Mm. Yeah. Does that that sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just can't remember where it's at right now. Uh, I think it's in Ephesians. I just love that we're church unscripted, so that's why we're like, wait, where is that? I, I <laughs> well, but but see, what's funny is like I always go to Romans twelve when we talk about worship, because, um, it it says clearly, uh, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and like I think that is the foundation of worship is that like our entire life is worship. And so like what you were saying is like that justice is just as much worship as singing a song on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I think we have a hard time in our American church to fully understand a life of worship because it, it, we are so compartmentalized. Like we, we go to church on Sunday morning and we go to the lake on Saturday and we go to work Monday through Friday. And we, you know, like it's very, uh, segregated, like our weeks mm-hmm. don't flow together. And so it's hard to bridge that, like my life, like every moment is worship. And I think that changes the way that we love people, the way that we react to people, the way that we step out against injustice. Um, and so, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what I was feeling is like, no, worship is justice and, and justice mm-hmm. is worship. And um, I think we would all do ourselves a favor. I know I'm included in that. If I could begin to renew my mind better every day to be in worship every moment. Well, I appreciate that. I will work harder next time to offend you whenever I... <laughs> oh, man. So, that, but maybe that's the, where we should end this. Oh, <laughs> offending David is where we yeah, end this okay, week. Oh, wow. man. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us for Church Unscripted. Make sure you subscribe, you like, hit the notification bell for next week's episode. Thank you for being with us. And last but not least, if you want to comment or you have a question, text 260-250-4700 and we'll see you next week.